Dispensing wisdom, inciting awesomeness, scaling joy. Welcome to the Mojo Studios podcast. It's time to turn down the deluge of distractions and put yourself in a mindset of receptivity and growth. Absorb, digest, apply, repeat. Dinner is served. Joseph Mojo McCarthy here. I have so many funny stories of me pretending to be an athlete when I was young. Truth is, I'm a band geek at heart. Spent much of my life playing trumpet, which actually turned out to be a great passport around the world. But I did love athletics from the time I was little. I was a big fan of football, baseball, basketball. I grew up in Montana. Those are the big sports. You'd think I would have been a hockey player, but I didn't like hockey. Didn't like the, trying to figure out how to skate. Whenever I put skates on, it's like my ankles banged against each other. I fell down and hurt myself. So never loved hockey. Soccer wasn't very big back then. But I did love me some baseball, basketball, and football. And played all the way from peewee level through high school and a little bit of college. Uh, but I have some hilarious stories of my, what I would say, my athletic career. And I do put career in quotes because I never did get paid for it. But I had tons of fun. One of my early memories of being a sports fan was uh, probably 1972-ish. Super Bowl, Miami Dolphins are in the Super Bowl. And this is the first time I'd really even paid attention to sports on TV because I really preferred to be outside playing myself with my brothers and with my the friends down the street. I just didn't figure out. It seemed so boring to watch sports on TV. I'd much rather play. But Super Bowl, that's a big deal, right? So my dad introduced me to football through the Super Bowl. So I'm fascinated with uh, the players and the game and all the, the hype. And I fell in love with the Miami Dolphins because that was the first Super Bowl I saw. I became a big fan of the the undefeated Dolphins, the era of Bob Greasy and Larry Zonka. Larry Zonka, what a great name for a football player. He was a fullback, board number 39. And I distinctly remember watching one game. The announcers are, and commentators are watching the game and Larry Zonk is just running over people left and right. He preferred to run into defenders than around them and then run over them. And heard the announcer say, you know, if I was the coach of the Dolphins, you know what I'd do on first down? I'd give it to Zonka. On second down, I'd give it to Zonka. Third down, I'd give it to Zonka. And fourth down, guess what I'd do? And the other commentator says, give it to Zonka. <laughs> Absolutely. I became so fascinated with Larry Zonka that I asked for his jersey for Christmas. I read his biography. And my sister, five years older than I, always loved playing pranks on me. So I got home late from school one day, probably just dawdling or playing sports or something, got distracted. And my sister, when I walked in the door, my sister says, well, too bad you're late again because Larry Zonka was just here. And he wanted to give you a signature, his, his autograph and meet you. But, you know, you were late, so you missed it. And I said, he was not. Larry Zonka did not come to the trailer park in Billings, Montana. <laughs> To, to meet me. Oh, yeah, he was here. I could prove it. I've got a signature. So she hands me this piece of paper. And this is Larry Zonka, but I knew she was lying because she spelled his last name wrong. It was spelled C-S-O-N-K-A, and she wrote it down, C-Z-O-N-K-A. <laughs> I loved football so much that when I was, gosh, seven or eight, maybe, yeah, seven or eight, nine years old, my grandmother for Christmas bought me a full-on football uniform and I remember it was the Oakland Raiders uniform uh, which is pretty intimidating but I never really got to use it because we all played football across the street in the park 
wasn't fair if I put on shoulder pads and a helmet and, and then try to play with the other kids. They're like, no way. You take all that off or you're not playing with us. So my beautiful uniform rarely got dirty because I couldn't wear it with the other kids. I remember I had two really good friends that we played every sport you could think of across the street in the park from games that were popular, games that were well-known to games that we just make up just to keep ourselves entertained. And one game we we created, the football game that we created when there was only three of us, when we couldn't find other kids to play, we called it run-up. And the way that worked is since there's three of us, one of us would have the ball and he would stand on the end zone line, which was all imaginary, of course, in the park. And he would throw the ball as high as he could down towards where the other two were standing. Whoever caught the ball, their job was to get back to the end zone line without the other two guys tackling them. And so it was it was fun. It was hilarious. Surprisingly, we didn't get very hurt. But of course, when you're when you're all boy and you're young, you're pretty flexible. But I remember we gave each other nicknames based on the way that each of us would try to avoid being tackled. <laughs> One of my buddies, he was kind of a bully. His name is Bobby. And so he, he donned the nickname, the Blue Tornado, because he was like Larry Zonka. He was just willing to run over anybody. Uh, my other buddy would run up the sidelines. He'd always try to avoid us by going up the sidelines. So we called him the, the sideliner or the sidewinder. And my nickname back in those days and, you know, my glory days of non-football football in the park was Curving Crazy because I would just run circles left and right, up and down, mostly because I was afraid of being tackled. I didn't want to get hurt. So, <laughs> But it all worked. The three of us in the park just playing and playing, having so much fun. What a great time. I became a fan of the Denver Broncos as a kid after my introduction to football uh, because growing up in Montana, there were no professional athletic teams anywhere in the state at that time. And so it wasn't like we could have a home team, right? So we're looking at the map trying to think, well, if we had a home team, who's the closest professional football team to us? It was Denver, the Denver Broncos. And Denver's from Billings is about 550 miles, good eight-hour drive. So that was my home team, the Denver Broncos. And it's fun to watch as a kid, John Elway wearing number seven, just a spectacular quarterback, throw the ball a mile. And so I always dreamed of being – being John Elway when I grew up, right? I was going to be a professional football quarterback because that was like like the most glorious thing I could think of. And my little brother Scott, he's uh, he's 14 years my junior. We'd have epic games, you know, where I would I would hold the football and just stand my ground, and his job was to see if he could tackle me. He'd climb up and down my frame and do everything he could. Just hilarious to watch. But he knew from the conversations we had that you know when I grew up I was going to be a professional football player. I was going to be the next John Elway. Well. Fast forward a few years, I go off to college, and uh, by that time, it was pretty clear professional football was not in my in my future. I didn't have the frame for it. I didn't have the talent for it, and uh, I realized, you know, all the, the glorious parts is all you see in football. You start reading about what goes on behind the scenes. Oh, not so glorious. So I, I made a much better career decision and went off, to, went off to college, and I came home one Christmas, and remember, Scott's 14 years younger than I. So I'm, what, 18, 19, 20, which puts him like four or five or six. And we're playing in the yard. We're tossing the ball back and forth. And, and Scott stops. He says, Joe, can I ask you something? I said, yeah, of course, Scott. What is it? He says, well, whatever happened to the you becoming a professional football player? Remember we talked about it all the time? I said, yeah, yeah, I remember. What happened? And I said, well, you know, it's, it's just probably not a good career path for me. I, I'm not, you know, I don't have all of the skills and the breaks and the talent and the, 
in this frame for that. And he stops and he looks up at me with his little wide-eyed, mysterious look on his face. And he goes, don't let go of the dream, man. Don't let go of the dream. <laughs> Apparently it was his dream that I was a professional football player. I was decent at baseball. That was probably my best sport of all the sports I played. Now, later in life, more towards basketball, but I just get more chances to play. But so I remember in Little Leagues, this would have been, gosh, ages around age 12 or so. I was playing Little League. I was a pitcher. I played third base and had, I just loved playing baseball. It was such a great, enjoyable thing with the team and also got me out of my house where there was no fun and the dysfunction going on there. And so loved playing baseball. And one game, for whatever reason, the coach put me at second base. And between innings in baseball, if you ever watch the game, they do this warm-up thing where the first baseman will take the ball and he'll roll it to the second baseman. Second baseman picks it up and throws it back to the first baseman. This is while the pitcher's warming up before the, the inning starts. And then the first baseman will throw it to the shortstop and he'll throw it back and the third baseman. And it's just, it's just a warm-ups. Well, one inning, I'm up to bat. The pitcher pitches to me and I swing. And when I swing, I don't know exactly how it happened, but the ball hit me right on the knuckle, the, the second knuckle of my index finger on my right hand. And man, it, it hurt. It hurt a lot. And the coach come running over, check on me. You okay? Yeah, I'll be all right. I'll be all right. You know, because in those days, <laughs> you don't cry. There's no crying in baseball. <laughs> if you've ever seen a league of their own, there's no crying in baseball. So I thought, okay, suck it up, Joe. You can handle this. And so I gripped the bat with the other fingers and my index finger sticking out a little bit. It's throbbing and starting to swell. And I, I think I got out. And so that was the last out in the inning. And we went out then into the field to play defense. And we're going through this routine where the first baseman throws the ball to each of the infielders and you throw them back. So he rolls the ball to me. I'm at second base. And so the straight line from second base to first base behind, if you keep going past the first baseman, that's the, the dugout and where the coach is standing. So <laughs> the first baseman rolls the ball to me. I mean, yeah, the first baseman rolls the ball to me. And I go to pick it up and I can't grip it with my index finger because it's swelling. It's hurting from getting hit when I was up to bat. So I go to throw the ball to the first baseman, but because I can't grip it with my index finger, the ball sails over the first baseman's head and hits the fence right next to the coach who was standing there with the lineup. And he snaps his head up. He says, what are you doing, McCarthy? Be careful. Sorry, coach. Sorry. And the first baseman rolls up to the shortstop. He throws it back. Then the third base. Now it's my turn again, right? And first baseman rolls me the ball. I pick it up. I can't grip it. I just try to throw it to him with my other fingers. The ball sails over the first baseman's head and hits the fence right next to the coach again. And the coach is like, what do you think you're doing? Get a grip, McCarthy. You're going to do laps after, after the game. Yes, coach. Yes, coach. Well, third time around, and now I'm getting kind of I'm freaking out, right? What am I going to do? I, I was hoping that maybe it wouldn't come back to me, but it did. So I pick up the ball, and as I'm holding it, knowing I'm supposed to throw it to the first baseman, but I'm either going to hit the coach or going to end up having to do so many laps after the game. I just broke down crying. Remember, I'm 12 years old. I'm like, coach, coach, I can't do it. He's like, you can't do what? I can't grip the ball. He's like, what? Yeah, when, the, when it got hit in the knuckle, it's, it's hurt my finger. I can't grip the ball, and that's why I almost hit you. Like, oh, why did you say so? So then they rushed me off to the hospital and got the x-rays. Nothing was broken, but it was all swelled up. And <laughs> another highlight, or low light, you might say, of my Little League career in baseball is at the end of the season, they pick an all-star team out of all the best players in the league. And my first year in Little League, you know, I'm still 
figuring it out and I'm getting better. I'm, I'm pretty good, but I'm not an all-star yet. And so they asked if a bunch of us would play as a practice squad against the all-stars to get them ready for the tournament. And I said, yeah, I'd love to do that. I volunteered. So I was out in right field for this practice game with the all-stars and one of them hit the ball, just a rocket over my head towards the fence. And this fence is chain link and it's about chin high. And I just turn, I'm tracking the ball, right? I'm watching it in the sky and I turn it, I'm tracking it. And I start running about as fast as I can. And I'm thinking, I can get this. I got this. And I'm, so I got my arms up, my head up, and I'm just running for all I'm worth away from home plate towards the fence. And all of a sudden, bam, I just run head first <laughs> into, the, into the chain link fence. And the, the force of it knocked me straight back into the field. But my shoelaces had got underneath the chain link fence and wrapped around the chain link. So I hit the fence, I fall back like super fast and I'm laying there dazed and confused. Like what just happened? I didn't see it coming. There's blood coming out of my chin and I can't get up because my shoelaces are caught in the bottom of the fence. So finally I kind of get my bearings and I sit up and I don't want anybody to see this. I was already embarrassed about running into the fence, right? So I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to unhook my shoelaces from the bottom of the fence, but they're knotted and I'm a little dazed. And the coach is yelling, get up, come on, let's go. We got, we got, what are you doing? Quit sitting down. I said, coach, I'm stuck. <laughs> I can't get my feet off from underneath the fence. And talk about embarrassing in front of all those all-stars and all my peers. My coach had to run out and unlace my shoes so they could get, get me off of the fence. <laughs> yeah, baseball was very, very good to me. <laughs> uh, another low light of my little league career is I was I was a very good pitcher the last year of Little League, uh, really coming into my strength and made it on the All-Star team. And the coach scheduled me to be to pitch the first All-Star game. But my, my stepdad at the time was uh, quite an overbearing, selfish, narcissistic jerk. And I lost my, my own glove, my mitt, somewhere in the season. I, I left it behind, as I often did leave things behind, kind of scatterbrained. And I didn't have any money, and we weren't given much of an allowance. So I asked my parents, my mom and my stepdad, can I get a new mitt? And they're like, yeah, but you have to pay for it yourself. Well, I had enough money to buy a mitt, but it was like the hardest, <laughs> crappiest mitt available because that's all I could afford. I mean, if I had been able to spend three times as much, I could have got a really nice glove. But I got this one that was either made out of bricks or, or steel. I'm not sure because I did everything I could to break that thing in, but it's still hard as a rock. And I knew that if I'm going to play in the all-star game, I can't use that mitt because I can barely catch a ball with that thing. It's just, it's like repels balls instead of catches them. And so I always had a backup plan. My coach was my friend and he had extra gloves and I just knew that I, you know, I could use the coach's glove. So I'm warming up for this all-star game. I'm going to, you know, this is really exciting for me. I'm going to pitch in my first all-star game. I'm the starting pitcher. I'm getting all psyched up. I'm warming up on the sidelines just outside the fence of the field. And my mom and my stepdad show up to watch the game. And my stepdad just just rails into me like, what are you doing? That's not your glove. Where's your glove? I said, my glove's in the dugout. Well, why aren't you wearing it? I said, because I'm borrowing the coach's glove. No, you're not. You lost your glove. You got to wear it. And then he just, as he did often, he just started yelling at me until I broke down in tears out of intimidation and embarrassment in front of my friends. And my coach saw the whole thing, came over and intervened, but he decided not me to put me in to pitch because I was in really no no frame of mind to do that. And then we lost that game, so the tournament was over. So my window of opportunity to be an all-star pitcher went out the window just like that. That was a tough one, tough pill to swallow. So actually there is crying in baseball sometimes. 
Uh, fast forward to college. I went to a little private college in Minneapolis. They had baseball, but it was such a small college that if you tried out for the team you were on, just for showing up, <laughs> they needed bodies, right? And I was a I was a decent baseball player, so I didn't have any problem making the team. But it wasn't it wasn't like a badge of honor or athletic prowess to be on the team because anybody was on the team who wanted to be. And being in Minneapolis, that really makes it difficult to, to practice during the preseason. Because in Minneapolis, it's still nasty cold outside. So there's no way you can practice outside. And the campus is pretty small. So we're having our preseason practices indoors. All that's fine. You can hit, you can pass. I mean, you can toss, you can run, all that kind of stuff. But then the coach decided we needed to have sliding practice so we could learn how to slide properly. But we're in a gym with wood floors, right? And so every time we'd slide, it would like take a whole other layer of skin off of our <laughs> of our legs until by the time we, we got to the season, we all had these huge scabs <laughs> on our hips. Uh, the pants would stick to them and none of us ever wanted to slide again. <laughs> yeah, all the joys of baseball in Minneapolis. One of the highlights though of my college baseball career is I got to pitch in the Metrodome. Metrodome was the, the stadium back in the day for the Minnesota Vikings and also for the Minnesota Twins. And so one of the other colleges in town, which had a much bigger program and huge scholarships, and they toured all over the country. And, and really, they were a feeder system for the pros, for the farm system, for the pro teams. They needed an exhibition team to play against for scouting purposes because the pro scouts were coming to check out the players on the other team. Well, you can imagine what was going through our minds, right? What? We get to play in the Metrodome, which that's the coolest thing ever, where the pro teams played. And there's going to be pro scouts in the stands watching the other team play, but we're playing too, right? So my coach schedules me to be the starting pitcher of a triple header in the Metrodome. Really, it was a hilarious day because the Metrodome held about 55,000 fans, 55,000 seats. And because you know, we're an unknown school and this was preseason, nobody came. So there might have been 20 or 30, I suppose, people in the stands of a stadium that sees 55,000. And I remember standing on the pitcher's mound, getting ready to warm up, and I could hear the conversations of my friends up in the stands quite a ways away. And they're just talking to each other because there's, there's nobody else in the stadium. Another funny thing about playing in the Metrodome is that the Metrodome looked like a big white balloon. The The ceiling was a, a big white canopy with no supports. Um, but I always wondered as a baseball player, why in the world would you make the inside of the ceiling white? Because on pop flies, when the ball got up high enough, it just disappeared. There's no contrast. It was made it pretty difficult to track the ball when it's way up in the sky in the, the rafters of the ceiling. But I played baseball for two years in college. And over the two seasons, our record was zero, 20, and one. That's zero wins, 20 losses, and one tie. And the one tie that we had over that two, those two seasons that I was playing baseball, that was the one game I missed. <laughs> so I went, I went, what's the opposite of undefeated? I went unvictorious through <laughs> for my illustrious baseball career. Years later, I was at uh, the Angels Stadium. This would have been three or four years later, just after college. A buddy of mine uh, wanted to go out and see the Angels play in Angel Stadium, Southern California. And uh, another friend of ours came that was at a, another college down the street. So it was Mike and I and Sarah, who we called Barbie. And we're sitting up on the third deck because that's where the cheap seats are, right? And it got 
to the seventh inning stretch. We all stand up and we're singing Take Me Out to the Ball Game. And I had this harebrained idea, which was not uncommon for me. And I asked Sarah, hey, can I, can I borrow your shoe? She had this little white, like a Ked style tennis shoes. She goes, why? I said, oh, I, I've got this idea. She's like, what are you, you going to do, Joe? <laughs> she knew me. So when we got to the end of the Take Me Out to the Ball Game song, old ball game. And I just took the shoe and I threw it off the third deck all the way down to the netting that covered over the people on the ground level. And that, that was, I was proud of myself for how far I threw it. And when I did, <laughs> attendants in the stands start walking towards me because, of course, that's not allowed, uh, nor is it very smart or safe. And so she, she walked over to me and she says, excuse me, sir, what are you doing? I remember now that the Angels were playing against the Boston Red Sox because a lady sitting in front of us, a fan, she turns around and with this really thick Bostonian accent, she goes, he was throwing sneakers. I saw the wall thing. <laughs> and we were laughing at her voice and the, the attendant says, is, is that true? Did you throw a sneaker off the third deck? I said, yeah, yeah, I did. And she says, why did you do that? I said, well, we're just having fun. I, I knew I wasn't going to hurt anybody. And the Bostonian fan in front of us turns around and she says, that's no way to have fun. <laughs> and then they politely asked us to leave. But now Sarah only had one shoe. So I had to carry her piggyback from the third deck all the way down to the car. But well worth it. A hilarious, hilarious moment <laughs> in my, again, my illustrious baseball career. I did try gymnastics. This was sixth grade. Uh, gymnastics wasn't considered, you know, a very masculine sport back then. Although I realize now that the male gymnasts really were the, had the best bodies. They were the strongest, coolest guys ever. But I didn't feel that at the time. The reason I went to, into gymnastics in sixth grade was because Janelle was in gymnastics. And Janelle, Janelle was the cutest girl in the school, at least in my eyes. And she was talking to her friends about being in gymnastics. So I signed up because I'm thinking whether I like gymnastics or not, whether I'm good at it or not, I get to be in gymnastics with Janelle and see her in her gymnastics outfit every day. You know, sixth grade boy, right? But I gave it all I had. I thought if I'm going to be in it, I just as well give it my all. But I sucked at it. <laughs> that whole season, every meet, I was the last one. I got the worst scores, but I had a blast. And I got to be in gymnastics with Janelle. Not necessarily a great career move, but certainly a good move as a sixth grade boy. I did take my godson, Spencer, to an Angels game. When I was an adult, I got tickets right on third base, second row. I mean, this is like spectacular seats, which were donated to me. I couldn't have afforded them. Uh, season ticket holder asked me, you know, gave them to me. And so I invited my godson, who at the time was about six, maybe. So we're down there on third base. I'm just so excited to introduce him to baseball in this beautiful stadium, being right down there in the field, close to the, close to the players and the dugout. And Spencer, the whole time, is looking up at the third deck. He's got his back to the field. He actually got down on his hands and knees and put down the seat and was coloring. You know, he's young and I'm, I'm loving the game and I'm just doing my best to keep him involved and tell him what's going on. And finally, Spencer says, Uncle Joe? Yes, Spencer. How come we can't sit up there? And he points up to the cheap seats at the way top of the stadium. And apparently to him, that looked like a lot more fun being up in the third deck than being down on third base. I was slap myself in the head going, oh man. What have I done wrong? Spencer, I, you missed it. You missed it completely. <laughs> My very first professional baseball game I ever attended 
was in Seattle at the Kingdom, which is no longer there. Actually, the Metrodome has been replaced in Minneapolis, and now in Seattle, the Kingdom is gone. They have a brand new stadium. But so this was would have been the, after my junior year of high school, 1983. We took a tour from Montana, where I lived, uh, took a tour with the youth group to go visit different colleges and go see what they were like and visit the college days, stay on the campuses so we could make decisions about where we wanted to go to school. And while we were in Seattle, we got tickets. Actually, we didn't get tickets to go to the game. We just walked right up at the game because in those days, ironically, it was Seattle versus Minneapolis versus Minnesota. Both teams that year were terrible. And so there was thousands of seats available. We just walked right up right at the game time. And we all got seats, again, the cheap seats up in the third deck behind home plate. But we were we were so far from the field. It was spectacular. I'd never been in a professional baseball stadium before. So it was like pretty awe-inspiring when you walk through that tunnel the first time and you, it opens up onto the field. There's just there's something like gives you goosebumps, especially when you're, you've been a baseball player since you're a little kid. So we're sitting behind home plate, third deck, a mile up in the sky and hoping and praying that maybe there'd be a foul ball that would come to us. There's plenty of foul balls throughout the game, of course, but none of them cleared even the second deck because the way the stadium was built, it was nearly physically impossible for a ball to come straight off a batter's bat, straight back, and go that high. So got to about seventh inning, eighth inning, realized, well, probably we won't get a foul ball, and then it happens. This guy takes a hack at the ball, and the it's towering foul ball that comes up our way we're like this one might make it we might actually get here we stand up and the ball goes over our heads by quite a ways up into the stands behind us and i'm like oh so close this is our one chance we didn't get a baseball so i turn around to see who caught it and there's nobody there (laughs) there's nobody in the stands above us in fact there's hardly anybody in, in the whole stadium so we just take off running running up the bleachers first one there gets the ball and I, I got to I got there first so the very first game I ever went to professional baseball game I actually got a foul ball and and to me I thought that set the precedent that every time I go to a baseball game I had to catch a foul ball turns out that's like winning the lottery as a fan just a few years ago when the Dodgers uh, were making their run for the World Series we got to go see them play at Dodger Stadium in LA and I was out in the right field pavilion maybe about four rows up from the from the fence and uh, a home run came our way and I didn't catch it, but it was really close. And I said to my friend, Dave, I said, I bet you we're going to be on sports center because when they fall, when they track that ball into the stands, it had to pick us up because we were so close to where the ball ended up. Sure enough, go back home, replay the game because I'd recorded it. We played the game and on that ball, the cameras showed exactly where we're standing. And so I freeze framed it, zoomed in, and there's, there's my friend Dave and I in the shot. I was like, all right, my first TV experience. <laughs> I'm on TV. Look, Mom, I'm on TV. Okay. So my little brother, Dan, he's, he's two years younger than me. And he was in sports because I was, but not because he really wanted to be in it. The level of baseball below Little League is minor leagues, or which now is like peewee or t-ball. Back then, they actually had the kids pitch to each other, which is absolutely hilarious because we didn't know what we were doing. So we would either be in the batter or we'd throw it behind them, or throw it in the dirt. And so almost everybody walked, right? <laughs> Nobody ever got a hit because they couldn't, couldn't even reach the ball. So my little brother at age, I'm going to say six, seven, eight, somewhere in there, he's out in right field, which is in any baseball level, it's unlikely that you're going to get the ball except for maybe the majors. But in peewee baseball, like zero chance. So he's standing out there in right field, 
and he's bored to tears. Like you could see the look on his face is this is no fun. Why am I here? And then he's like sits down, and he's picking the grass and picking dandelions, and the coach tells him, Stand up, Dan. So he stands up and then a jet flies over and he's standing there and he's he's got his head straight up in the sky, he's watching the jet, which to him was way more exciting than the game. Somebody actually got a hit. So the ball goes past the second baseman and rolls out nearly to Dan's feet. He had no idea. He was watching the airplane, he's <laughs> pointing at it, picking his nose with one hand, pointing at the plane at the other. And the second baseman had to run out to where he was to pick it up, throw it back to the infield. <laughs> to this day, he doesn't even remember that that even happened. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, gotta love it. <laughs> Neither Dan or I ever, uh, you know, got paid to play sports, but now I, maybe someday I'll get paid for telling my funny stories about sports. Who knows? I have a different rendition of "Take Me Out to the Ball Game" for you. <laughs> this is called the uh, the most unsatisfying version of "Take Me Out to the Ball Game," and you'll you'll understand why at the end. Are you ready? Ready. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out to the crowd. Bye. Me some peanuts and cracker jacks. I don't care if I ever get back for its root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame for it's one, two, three strikes. You're out at the old ball game. It's one, two, three strikes. You're out at the old ball game. It's one, two, three, four balls. You walk at the old ball game jazz hands yeah <laughs> i love your laugh your laugh oh, is thank awesome you. That, that was good that was that was about as good as the other one you did with the um oh what was it it was something about um that you put your hand in the um, fan yeah <laughs> Put your hand in the fan and you could lose a finger. Oh my gosh, that was so gross. I just visualized all of it. <laughs> Put your foot in the fan and you could lose a toe. Put your face in the fan and you will look at others differently. <laughs> Put your body in the fan and change your anatomy. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> That reminded me of my um my 4-H days. Yeah. Yeah, it did. And they had this song called Great Green Globs of Greasy Grimy Greasy Gopher, Grimy Gopher, Gopher You remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, we say it all the time. Okay. Dirty birdies little feet. French we said smashed up parakeet. Oh, yeah, right. French fried eyeballs dipped in chicken fat. And I forgot my spoon. My great big spoon. No, we said it differently. We said... Sing your version. Sing your version. Great green globs of greasy, grimy gopher guts, mutilated monkey meat, smashed up parakeet, french fried eyeballs dipped in kerosene. Too bad I lost my spoon, but I got a straw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dorothy, for you and I, this is back in the day. I'm still fascinated by this. No internet, no cell phones, no social media, no nothing. And yet different parts of the country, all over the country, we're all singing variations on the same songs, right? right? How did that work? How did that work? We had no no electronic connections whatsoever. We're all singing the same songs. I think that's fascinating. Thank you for your version of Greasy Grimy Gopher Guts. I love it. <laughs> okay, you're welcome. Have a great night. I'll keep listening. There's so much divisiveness online, people poking 
fun at each other or worse, calling each other names, driving the wedge between relationships, making sweeping stereotypes and using all sorts of foul language, whether figuratively or literally, which is why I find myself here because it's just fun. And then, uh, you know, my stories about athletics and athletic supporters, for those of you who don't know, that's another way of saying jockstrap. So go jockstraps. <laughs> As I look back, I think there is something about getting paid for what you love that takes some of the joy out of it. You know, if your paycheck's tied to your, or your salary is tied to your hobby or your sport, um, it takes a rare breed for someone not to, to someone still enjoy it like a child, like with uh, child likeness. Once they're getting paid for it, I think that does change the, the flavor of the game considerably. And you see that, you know, in the news all the time. When I was a junior in high school, I, I was torn because I loved playing trumpet, but I also loved playing football. My two first loves, unfortunately, they conflicted because I was in the marching band, which needed to march in formation and do halftime shows at the football games. But I wanted to be on the football team, too. And everybody I talked to said, you have to decide, Joe, what do you prefer? And I'm like, I don't. I don't want it. I don't want, I'm not an either or guy. I'm a both and guy. Isn't there some way I can be on the football team and in the band? <laughs> and everybody says, that's never been done. I don't think that's going to, that's going to work. And I said, well, well, the band only plays at home games and we have lots of games away to other, other places. So I can play on the football team at the away games. And everybody says, well, the coach isn't really going to like that. If you're in the band at the home games and you're on the team at the away games, but I had the audacity to ask both my band director and the coach, is there any way that I can do these things? Because I love them both. And I, you know, I don't know that I have a career in either after high school, but I would love to experience both. And I don't remember how the conversations went, but they both conceded. My band teacher conceded because I was the best player in the band. And he said, I don't mind if you play on the football team as long as you march in the halftime show. And the coach says, well, you're a junior, so you're not a starter anyway. So, you know, we can we can flex a bit on this schedule. So here's the plan. And to this day, I think I'm the only person that I know of that ever did this. But I would dress in my marching band uniform before the game. We would march out onto the field. We'd play in the stands up until halftime, march down onto the field, do our halftime show in formation. And then as soon as the band was done and headed back up into the stands for the second half, I raced off to the locker room tore off all my band clothes, put on my football uniform, and raced back to the field to join the team. Now, obviously, I wasn't a starter on the team, and I, I wasn't a star, and I rarely actually got into the game. But I can say I lettered in football and in band in the exact same year as a junior in high school. And I don't know too many people who did that, nor do I think that I might recommend that. But it was fun. But the only time I ever made it into the paper for football as a high schooler you know, the local paper would write up about the games and summarize the games, put the highlights. And I was a receiver in football, which is funny because I, I had really good hands. I could catch well, but I couldn't run very fast. So that was a bit of a challenge. But I got into the game and I was playing receiver and, and we had scored a touchdown. So now we're trying to do the two-point conversion afterwards. Instead of kicking for one, we try to get the ball in the end zone a second time. And they called a pass play to my direction. So I broke into the end zone. I caught caught the pass and I just you know I was feeling like I was a superhero it's first time I'd scored and everybody's watching and I, I knew I was going to make it in the paper and sure enough you know it writes up the score and the highlights and in the end the quarterback makes the ex extra pass to do the two-point conversion to Steve McCarthy and I was like what Steve McCarthy <laughs> 
Who's that? No, it's Joe McCarthy. Too late. <laughs> they got my name wrong. Even in the school newspaper, it said Steve McCarthy. Something I am not getting the word out <laughs> that I am not Steve. I am Joe. I'm going to sign out and say, go sports fans, go jocks, go athletic supporters, go jockstraps. <laughs> Have fun. I love play. If you heard me talk earlier today, I'm all about play. And I, I'm not about childishness for adults, but certainly about childlikeness. And I think there's something wonderful that when people say, Joe, you're just like a little kid in a big boy's body. I take that as a compliment. So until next time, this is Joe, Mojo McCarthy. Grace and peace to y'all. Play ball. If this episode was beneficial to you, be sure to pay it forward, sharing it with others who may need a boost as well. Until next time, dream big, start small, act now. Thank you.